0: Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm here at RMIT University in Melbourne, and I'm here with two very creative people, Brett Phillips and David Renfeld, directors of 3Deep Design. 3Deep have been going for, oh, it seems like an eternity. I remember when (laughs) I interviewed them in the mid-90s and thought, wow, this is a duo. Then three people who need to be taken seriously. They would just won the Victorian Design Award, um, in the uh, Victorian young designer of the um of the year and for the work they had done uh with websites and they took quite a different approach to their work and I was fascinated and I've just followed their careers and whenever I get a chance to interview them I jump at the at the opportunity so welcome to the show thank Thanks. you Thanks, thank you David and Brett, you've had unusual beginnings to your career. David, you started engineering.
1: Yeah, started in me- mechanical engineering in the early nineties at Swinburne University. Um, and
2: Brett, uh, sculpt- fine, art. fine art, fine art, yeah, sculpture and printmaking at RMIT.
1: And your
0: teacher, I believe, said you'd never make it as a sculptor. <laughs> yeah, he was
2: um, brutally honest, and he suggested that uh, after seeing some of my early work, that I perhaps pursue uh, a career in graphic design.
0: And mechanical engineering, David, quite different from graphic design.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I came from a non-art background, but growing up we'd always been a family friends that had retouch businesses, that had advertising agencies, um, and then right next to the School of Engineering was the little design school back then at Swinburne, uh-huh. in a little wooden structure. So you both met...
2: At Swinburne? Yeah, we met um, first day of first year. So yeah. <clears throat> we've been sitting opposite each other now for the best part of 20 years. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And no arguments? Plenty of arguments. And <laughs> <laughs> <A> near <laughs> death. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Look, there's an interesting, I always remember an interesting uh, uh, saying that the minute two business partners agree, one's redundant. <laughs> <Nobody> <laughs> <does>. <laughs> the other thing that's interesting is you've just built a house together. Yeah. Uh, it's
0: an unusual house in that you share a common courtyard.
1: Correct so yeah.
0: that's a sign that things must be okay
1: um or it gives a i think marianne my wife even the other night said that one of the neighbors complained to her that she actually came out to speak to me but found me talking to brett and was like don't they see enough of each other already <laughs> <laughs>
0: so what was the the reason for starting 3d you obviously shared similar interests that at university.
2: It was interesting. I think that it may have started as a, as a consequence of um, our third year, really. I mean, looking at... I mean, for me personally, yeah. it was about a response to um, an industry placement that I'd had, and I think um, I went as part of Swinburne's IBL program, went into sort of professional practice for a year, and was placed at um, uh, the illustrious BHP Design Centre. Uh, in the city and I quickly, I think we both quickly figured out what we didn't want to do and how we didn't want to go about doing it and I think that we had ideas and visions of our own but I think that you know, environment—you know environmental factors and, and placements obviously determined some of the things yeah. that I didn't want to be doing for the rest of my career. Um, and, a, and additionally too, um, we started picking up projects, possibilities of projects
1: uh, that were commercial projects um, and some of them were larger than one person could Deliver on themselves, so it was a way to actually then roll out projects while we were actually still studying. Yeah, still studying, studying So through, and that's where, like you're talking about the Victorian Design Awards. Before we had started that project in our third year of university, so it was it was around halfway through our course of uh, four years of study, mm-hmm. um, and so the actual opportunities started arising even before you graduated yeah Mm. and then by the time we were graduating it was just basically building more and more momentum
0: so what you know for people who don't know a lot it's you're not a graphic design firm no no you know for people who think 3D graphic design that's not the what was the the raison d'etre to start 3D and what were the type of what were the type of projects you really wanted to get involved with
1: then A lot of it was starting to engage, and even some of the projects we're going to be talking about here today, were starting to engage in areas of interest that were outside of design as well. So like performing arts, fashion, um, uh, Architecture. architecture, experiential kind of projects. And so graphic design, our core study, put us in contact with a lot of people in those areas and then out of that we progressed our own pathway. And started to make our own journey. Yeah. Well, Ballet Lab, Philip Adams, yeah. Ballet Lab was one of the first clients you
0: had, yeah. or one of the earliest uh, clients. One of the yeah, earlier yeah, clients. Yeah. Philip Adams, for people who don't know his work, it's fairly adventurous, yep. experimental. It's you know there are elements of you know um, Michael Clark from the eighties. Yep. You know it's kind of a real yeah. you know it's pretty full on. Yeah, people who do.
1: So what did you do with Philip? Then the first thing we first um, engagement we had was he'd come in to do a photo shoot with Jeff Busby, the arts performing arts photographer, who was in the studio above us when just after we'd moved out of um, university, and we met Philip through that him going into there to do a photo shoot. Um, and he had no con- he'd just moved back to Australia from New York, having been away for about ten, twelve years, mm-hmm. and so he didn't have necessarily a lot of contacts in Australia and Jeff had introduced us to him to help support him on his new return v- new return um, and then it started we worked on that first project, which was amplification, and then out of that um, ballet lab was actually formed, and we were uh, we actually worked with him on the formation of Ballet Lab as an entity. And sat on the founding members of the board as well. So and since then, right to now, we're still. So, what involved. are the type
0: of things you do with Philip?
1: Yeah. Then, what are the type
0: of projects?
1: Um, then a lot of it is around the promotion of his work, so but campaign. also mm. campaigns. But also, mm. we work we have worked with him on the sets and the structures, and also as a bouncing board on the on the evolution of Ballet Lab. Mm. And then being also involved with the board of Ballet Lab means we've been
2: more on the corporate. Um, or steering, strength, steering, steering, steering the navi- you know, yeah. navigating the course of the company and yeah. understanding what it okay. what it will be and what it needs to be for future growth. So, okay. yeah. I mean, there's many aspects to to every one of our clients. Yeah. That we're, we're it's not just about the graphic design component of or delivering uh, uh, services. delivering services for a client. I think we're acting in more cases these days as um, I guess um, strategists, advisors, planners, um, and taking our you know understanding of business. Um, to to each and everything that we're doing with okay. them. So, so that's been
0: an interesting project. Then there's three D publishing.
2: Yeah, um, I guess have a chat about that. I think that we've always had a pretty, um, I mean, healthy obsession with. With uh, books, and yep. I think that David will probably recall really, really clearly that in the first couple of years of starting Three Deep, that um, we spent more on books than we did on, on a, you know, paying any salaries and yep. um, and things like that. We actually didn't pay so ourselves what, a salary.
0: Uh, brief, what books
2: have been published? Oh, look, for under Three Deep Publishing, I think we've are up to our seventh or sixth yeah. or seventh book. We've mainly worked in the art, design, and architecture space. Um, our first book. We published in two thousand and two, which was really the catalyst for the business. was called uh, a book called Bird. Uh, It's one that we have in front of us at the moment. But um, I think that that book was sort of the manifested everything you know that we believe that publications or a publishing business should be. Mm -hmm. It was it was had it had a big ambition, but um, you know small resources. It published pretty uh, decadent or amazing, you know, well, you know, fine crafted books that. Um, were intelligent and really well-considered. Mm-hmm. Um, and which illustrators did you use? Well, at the you... time, it wasn't, um, you know, the first book, um, this bird book, wasn't really um, on an illustrator. Um, Kat McLeod um, studied at Swinburne and she did her industry year with 3Deep at the time, actually. Um, mm-hmm. What David and I went through in the early days, she, she'd done in our practice. and We qu- really quickly identified, you know, Kat's sort of strengths and what she was interested in and, and the nature of her work. and and what she wanted to do, and sort of putting a square peg really in a, you know, in a round hole, just fitting her into the corporate structure of, yeah. of doing you know, identity work wasn't really appropriate. So out of that relationship came this kind of idea to to bring a body of her work together and, and publish it in the form of, um, you know, uh, not a limited edition book, but one of quite significant ad- editions. So. Well, I think in the publishing industry generally, from what I gather, the
0: top end's doing okay very bespoke books and the bottom end's doing okay i think that middle end at the moment's floundering
2: yeah. so well it was interesting i mean this was an interesting um period i think that we'd taken and and des cowley who's head of rare books at um state library um commented and he, he put it into their permanent collection um and it was it was recognized kind of globally as a, a pretty interesting study it was a for us it was um, it was taking what was, would have traditionally been known as an artist book of really limited edition. I mean, there's 7,500 embroideries that we've created and there's handmade cases and covers. We took what would have traditionally been known as an artist book and put it into the realm of a kind of commercial publication. So we were doing 2,500 units of this. Um, hand-stitching you know, covers. Of, you know, well, there was, yeah. I think, about um, you know, 10 unique embroideries throughout the book itself. Yeah. And we replicated cat's original visions and original embroideries yeah. within our sketchbooks, and we replicated those in a mechanical transferred sense, it. transferred that into a mechanical environment. And we produced two and a half thousand units of this book, and it, at sold the time... Sold globally? Or? It sold globally, yeah. <laughs> we, we established it, really, the distribution network from scratch, because everyone we talked to at the time, every distributor in the country, had looked at that book and said, you know, how much, how many? Um, were really kind of, uh, you know, they didn't have any kind of interest in distributing something that at the time was really quite expensive. What was the price? It was $200, $199. Mm-hmm. Well, that is a lot. Which that was a, a lot, lot in of... 2002 for a... Yeah. For yeah. a book of that nature. so we not only had to establish the book, we then had to establish you know its production, we had to establish its distribution network. We had to go and market the book. and we didn't have any real support from the industry. So what the strategy you know we employed was well, um, let's create demand and we went direct to market. And um, created 10,000 posters and, and hundreds and hundreds of postcards and, and, and distributed them themselves. Yeah. And we created a demand, and people started going into our bookstores and asking for it. So it was nice because then some of the retailers came to us and said, What is this bird book we keep hearing about? You're distributing it? And we said, Yes. So it, it started a trajectory of publishing that, um, you know, and, and an onus upon us to take upon nearly every aspect of that process. But that was a very important book, not
0: just because. Uh, of what it was trying to do, but I think it gave you the understanding from an
2: early um, point that you have to take control of the projects you do. Absolutely. I mean, I remember sitting in a meeting with a, with one of the largest sort of publishers in the country and I looked at him and when he asked me how many units of it were publishing and I said two and a half thousand units, he openly laughed. And it gave me, being the, this sort of type of person, it gave me incredible motivation to actually make it happen. So we spent significant amounts of money on not only publishing the book but creating the infrastructure and the environment to be able to then go and distribute it and retail it. So,
0: um so what were some of the other books that you did after bird
2: then it's sort
1: of bird set up a trajectory of also the approach to design as well so um in how we treat books as objects more and that there's an engage engagement and a tactility to it so even recently last year we just did the 50th book for the australian ballet um, beautiful slipcase case um, bound case bound book um, through to projects in Korea for artist books with a German artist that also involve T-shirts in, uh, in within the book
2: as well. So It's sort, sort of, of, yeah, book as object, object. as, as artefact, as historical record, as keeper. I mean, there's beyond, you know, the kind of... I think that the last thing in the chain that I'd say there is book as commercial return. Right. I think that that's probably the least of our... Uh, You know, it's a consideration or one of the factors, but we're doing objects and and artefacts now that are historical records of kind of... Point in time. Point in time. Well,
0: I'd have to say when I went to visit you at your office a few years ago, I was very impressed with the wonderful catalogues that you've had and you've collected over the years. Really beautiful catalogues that are more than just throwaway things, they're yeah. really works of art in yeah. themselves.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Then, I mean, that shows, and that goes back to that what we were talking about in our earlier career of not being content with just graphic design or a traditional way of working. It's always that study and learning for uh, and yearning for knowledge. Um, so, like our library, we've got everything from art, architecture, fashion, landscape design. Do you think um, that's been... Uh, part
0: of your success that you are broad in the way you think and the number of design disciplines you take under
1: Will take on? Yeah, and it means we've got an, an understanding and an openness as to where something could go without preconception um, And it also means when we're working with someone like Ballot Lab We can see opportunities and bring in other collaborators and all who we might say to Philip This person could be someone of real interest even though they haven't worked in performing arts
0: There's a synergy.
1: There's a synergy of thinking and all. And so I think that openness to different practices, Mm -hmm. different ways of working has set us up for a lot of the way we've approached our projects.
0: Um, Now, I'm looking at everything in between. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that are in between that you take on that other... Studios such as yours wouldn't go near.
2: Well, look, I mean, this is, I think everything we take on my studios wouldn't go near, but um, <laughs> I think that um, this is, like Thread Publishing, this was something born of a quite an entrepreneurial spirit to understand that things can be can be better than what they currently are. And I think that everything in between, um, and if I just describe it, it was a 16-week intensive workshop program. It ran every Tuesday um, for three hours in it. Um, we hired a whole level at Curtin House in the city. And we brought in um, the various artisans and, and creative practitioners um, every week Um, for 16 weeks and people had to apply um, students and recent graduates had to apply uh, through a process to to participate and to get in and we ended up um, with a really humble kind of group of um, I think it was uh, 12 or 14 people. We flew out the likes of m M&M from Paris, uh, Sean Perkins from North in the UK. We had um, uh, Philip Adams there. We had... Um, performance Poets. Performance like Poets, yeah. Um, and what was the idea for that? Well, it was everything for us. It was, a, it was looking at where design and creative education was going and the disconnect that at the time it had with professional practice or a professional practice that we that we saw and not the, the preconceived notion of you come in with a graphic designer, you go into an office, you do these briefs, you produce work and you leave. We saw that, I mean, like everything we've, we've done, there's an immersive kind of a participation or involvement in creative practice that goes just beyond. The pragmatics of getting a brief and doing handing some, it over, and handing it over, um, everything in between was everything in between, um, you know, being a student and professional practice. Mm-hmm. So, we were exposing, um, you know, the participants to, to sort of, you know, as David mentioned, performance poetry. But then we we're relating it how it worked into. We had um, Tim Black from BKK. Mm-hmm. We had uh, Paul Minifee, Minifee yeah. Nixon, who who brought a kind of a perspective to to each of the workshops that wasn't necessarily about graphic design, it was about creative practice, and I think that what we were hoping to achieve was that the participants would see that creative practice was just broader than that lineal kind of a process of taking and responding to a brief Mm. in a commercial sense, and I think that what we tried to do over the 16 weeks was string together each of the briefs so they related to one another, and that students had kind of an overarching um, perspective on creative practice in this country. It was ambitious, we paid for it entirely ourselves. The student fees really covered probably covered the, the one airfare. No, yeah. not even. I think yeah. it covered the airfare of M M&M and M Paris to come out from come out from Europe at the time and the rest of it we funded. Um, it wasn't sponsored, we didn't have, you know, government backing, none of the universities really Why is it that you is it something you try and avoid you know, sponsors or government
0: assistance—is it just you feel there'll be interference?
2: No, no. Or I you just it, think it's a hassle. Well, or? you do everything. At the, I mean, from my perspective on it, you do when you're doing things at the vanguard, like you're doing, you're establishing new ideas and new new programs. Um, there's always this sort of fear of risk and this kind of um, that goes in that commercial government culture that's about um, fear of jumping on board to something early where you're breaking new ground. I mean, it wasn't anything kind of you know life changing. It was. It was a pretty tangible kind of a an initiative, but for us, um, believe me, I would have loved to have some, <laughs> some corporate, you know, sponsorship and involvement. But um, I think it, for us, there was what's come of that is an autonomy to understand that if you're going to do these things, then um, you shouldn't necessarily be relying on the existing structures to make them happen. I was going to actually there's an a, uh, a project that I thought was fascinating called Six
0: Sense mm. and then again it's you got very involved financially yeah. and work-wise, mm. and it was an extraordinary uh, achievement you worked with some of the world's leading fashion designers Yeah well
2: we have names uh, sweetie yeah. names yeah, well, that, <laughs> that are extraordinary
0: <laughs> yeah. um, people that just you know when I read the the list I yeah. said oh my god how did that how did that happen yeah. tell me about that project because well, it was really quite a
2: I think it'll take both of us maybe yeah, to yeah. chat about this. I think that um, from the earliest days, it came from an existing relationship we had with um, uh, a gentleman named Kai Serhanda um, from New York. Um, it came both in the form of um, a commercial kind of a, a project and a brief, um, but like anything that comes into office, we look at, you know, in a broader context. And I think we're, we're, in a pragmatic sense, we're asked to, and if I put my design head on, we are asked to establish um, you know, the sort of foundations of this brand and really bring this brand to life. Um, Kai had an objective to create a fragrance brand that was within the top five most bespoke fragrance brands in the world, and that was his objective. And he came to us with a, a conversation to say, hey, are you interested in, in helping uh, bring this to life? And we kind of jumped at the opportunity. Particularly given the calibre of. um, Who are the fashion designers who were involved? It's basically a different scent for each designer.
1: Yeah, so each series had uh, um, six fashion designers involved with six uh, perfumers. So it was about. The idea behind Sixth Sense was that it wasn't about one person, it was actually about this person and this person and this person. So that's even where the brand mark for Sixth Sense has the ambas- the abstraction of the ampersand into the... And and David, just so people realise the you know the, yeah. the magnitude of the
0: project, who were some of the designers yeah, so you were working got, with?
1: Um, Gareth Pugh, Jeremy Scott, Demir Doma, Bernard Willem. Um, Alexander Herkovich. Yeah, Alexander Herkovich, Antetel, Radharani, um,
2: yeah, so it's it goes just on, yeah, I mean, on over and the, on. Yeah. Over the yeah. past four years, 24 four, of the yeah, leading perfumers yeah. and, and fashion designers around the world, I mean, yeah. we're talking some serious names. I think the interesting thing about Six Sense is it's very much a barometer of kind of our cultural time. Like, it's taking... Um, so each perfume bottle was
0: beautifully presented in a yeah. box with
1: yeah. a, story, a
0: story. Yeah,
1: and the background to it. And it wasn't about... It wasn't about representing that designer's brand as such. It was about representing the story. So the designer would start a story, and then the perfumer would finish it, obviously, with the fragrance. Um, and so there, it was about actually presenting that story as its own individual thing, but with these people who were involved. I
2: mean, if you looked at Six Sense Series Four, I mean, it's very much a it's a very much a character study yeah. in the context of perfume. I mean. Each fragrance um, you know it's, it was attributed sort of human attributes or qualities to every note, so we 're actually creating characters and mm. and kind of uh, metaphoric people that each scent responded to and then out of that idea then came the you know the design of the packaging and the kind of construct of the bottles and the way in which it was presented and the various collaborations so it's it's probably one of the most interesting and engaging fragrance projects in the world. We've um, you know it's had amazing great success over the past. And what's so years. lovely about
0: it is a lot of perfume
2: bottles and packagings and mm. quite candyish,
0: yeah. very pastel-y, yeah. very girly. Yeah. This is quite goth, yeah. which is lovely. Black, yeah. quite there's a bit of a sinister overtone. It's, it's, a, it's I mean, fabulous. It's menacing. It's menacing It's menacing. It yeah. is menacing yeah. 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 Um, and that's quite a. a, a you know, a a contrast to most of the perfumes you see on the shelves, which are very sexual, Mm. uh, very girly and, you know, quite frivolous.
1: Yeah, it provides a nice counterpoint, but it's also even more a reflection of our own, like we're... Because our ownership of the project and involvement in the project and the level to which we're involved means we're constructing the image-making and all totally ourselves independent of anyone else. The other thing before...
0: So I want to... Um, include before we run out of time mm.
1: is you've got a new magazine
2: coming out called New Luxury. New Luxury. Yeah, so I think that it's a um, you know. You don't think there's enough magazines on the stand? Well, <laughs> um, I wouldn't. I, I do. I actually do. <laughs> but I wouldn't. It's it's not so much a magazine. I think it's it's a it's a dialogue. It's a kind of episodal um, broadsheet. I think that it's about us. To, you know, establishing a dialogue on luxury in the twenty-first century and what that means. I think we have a, a particular perspective on it that's not doesn't revolve around notions of conspicuous consumption and status and wealth and yeah. exclusivity. It's not for us. It's not about that. Everything we do, really, from our agency, is in that luxury and premium space. All of our clients, we work you know with some pretty extraordinary people. And create some pretty extraordinary brands, and I think that some of those conversations that we're having in the world in which we, we And this is a
0: global magazine. It is,
2: yeah. It's it's we have a global distribution. It's um, at the moment a sixteen-page large format broadsheet. It's um, you know, it's it's not a nimble digital um, uh, uh, sort of an outcome. And for is it us, because you feel that there's too well, I much think is going online. No, look, I think I mean, you know, I think it comes back to our love affair with um, with things like the notion of time. In publications, I think there's something to be said about taking the time to sit through and understand the materiality and engage with the materiality of things. And for us, it's always going to come back to this love affair with the object. As much as it is so the appropriateness who, of its delivery.
0: So, what areas are you going to cover broadly? Yeah, Broad well, look, at the first,
2: yeah, absolutely. So, the first issue we're looking at um, uh, design. We're looking at architecture. We're looking at um, uh, performing art, art. performing art. We're looking at food. Um, we're looking at beauty. We're looking at um, all sorts of things. So, we've, It's very much a conversation, a dialogue in this space. So, we're having great, you know, great conversations with artisans and, and designers and creators from all around mm-hmm. the world. Um, we think it's it's a ref, you know, it's a reflection of our time and the things that are kind of going on in the undercurrent and things that are going to define the next generation of kind of um or the next understanding of luxury. It's mm-hmm. and where it's, you know, changed with the fact that we currently sits. And Brett and David, is it I mean in terms of the subject matter Australia or beyond? Beyond. Yeah. Beyond. Yeah,
0: so I suppose because it's international
2: well I think so I mean it's a it's a dog I think that for us there's amazing things going on here and we've we're lucky enough to be surrounded by um people sort of you know that that are making history in each of these spaces and I say that quite humbly and I think that for us to tell some of those stories is something unique to us and something that I guess we feel we can contribute to that space. We don't think it's a a frivolous sort of a publishing exercise or a vanity publishing. exercise. And then again, you're funding it yourselves. Yeah, correct. So you don't have to rely on advertisers or sponsors. Not at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that, um, yeah, for us, it's about um, always coming back to doing things how we think they should be done as opposed to how we can go about doing.
0: Where do you see things going generally as we head towards the future?
2: With our practice? Or no, not generally procedure? in design.
0: I mean, you said conspicuous consumption. We've had a lot of that. Yeah. Where do you think things are
2: headed? I think that, I mean, from personally, this this, this sort of um, notion of coming back to the intimate and the personal and the, um, uh, I guess, the artist into to a certain degree understanding and discovering experiences for oneself that may not be about, you know, <laughs> A sort of mass mass model it's about how you can engage with and seek out and find some of um uh you know some pretty amazing experiences I was, you know that's from yeah. my perspective and even
1: and it comes back to that other thing brett was talking about before like time which is something we always have enjoyed and all is that idea of time in, embedded into work
2: or time Um, contributing to work and all sorts. Or the reading of time in work, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's something that I think is going to be evidenced in all sorts of ways, whether it be architecture or whether it be fashion, um, you know, through our work with um, people like Material Byproduct, there's an investment of time into a garment that's actually visible and rendered visible to Mm. demonstrate its value and its sort of... um, Well, I
0: think what's happened is a lot of the uh, designer... uh, pieces that have been created, you know, the iconic, inverted commas, designer pieces that have been created for the last hundred years are being reproduced en masse so quickly that I think people are seeking out something that has a voice. Yeah. And, you know, I really think um, what's lovely about your work and the work that I see visually... Um, from you guys is it does have a voice there is a very distinct voice and it's loud Mm. it's heard in certain circles but Mm. in those circles it's very well regarded yeah Yeah, thank you thank you look thanks so much for coming on the show david and brett pleasure from three deep thank you and you've been with stephen crafty at rmit university talking design thanks again for listening